tonight, and then we'll go on into our service time. Father, we thank you for uh, all your love and mercy and your forgiveness, your grace, your long-suffering. There's not enough hours in a day to continually thank you for all you've done for us. We just pray, God, tonight that as our youth and several of our adults, along with many other people in this region, Lord, are gathered up for this youth rally. We pray, Lord, that those that are lost will have their eyes open and their hearts pricked so that they might repent and be born again. You said, Jesus, a man must be born again. And so we pray for that tonight, that that would be the lot, that salvations would come starting tonight and run through next week, Lord, during this crusade, that your hand would be upon this area, this central Kentucky area, and that souls would be reaped for the harvest. We know, Lord, it takes the Holy Spirit to go before anything that happens. And so we just pray that your Holy Spirit will do the work before, Lord, so that people could come to the knowledge of your saving grace, surrender their lives as we approach the end of the age, that we'll get this last harvest. We'll glean the corners. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to switch gears a little bit tonight. I want to take you to Galatians chapter 2 just for a moment just for a verse, and then we're going to go to Philippians chapter 2. The Seder meal will uh, be coming up on Good Friday here. We're having a Seder meal down in, in the mountains this Sunday, Seder demonstration. But Good Friday, the Seder meal here will be a full meal. So uh, we're getting a lot. We've got the lamb and all that, so we'll be ready for that. A lot of stuff going on this time. We really want you to focus, and I would encourage you to listen to the teaching on the Holy Spirit this morning if you've not listened to it uh, or weren't able to get up with the chickens this morning and watch us. I encourage you to listen to that. Let's go to Galatians chapter 2, and let's look at verse 20, and I want to show you something that all of us are familiar with. He says, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So the first thing I want to remind you of, when we see the law, we think about the Pharisees and Sadducees, we think, well, none of that happens anymore. But that's still the problem. Because the Pharisees tried to garnish favor with God by their own strength. That's what the law represents. That I'm going to please God with my own strength. My own strength. Now how many people you think are doing that in the church today? Lots of folks. They're just trying to please God. They're not surrendering their life. They're trying to muster up their own strength, their own way of doing things. That's Phariseeism. Phariseeism is when you try to get to God or honor God or please God with your own strength, with your own ideas, with your own ways. Christianity is about surrender. It's about surrendering, and it's about, it's about death, right? Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you've got to take up your cross. The cross is an emblem of death. Paul said he died daily. Now, we're not talking about physical death. Some people become martyrs. We know that's real. But spiritually, we're talking about somebody who dies with dies to self, right? And that, 
brings us to something I've shared a lot of over the years, is this hook, right? Eros. And then we have the other one we illustrate with a straight arrow, agape. Agape is love with no motive. Eros is love with a hook. Because when Eros is used, stick man's got himself in mind, not the other person. The things that we've tried to teach our children, <clears throat> which over the years, is that when Eros comes out, it looks like agape for a little while. So we've tried to teach our daughter that, right? And, and young people that, that in the day, the kind of culture we live in, some people will show fake love, if you want to call it that, because they have a motive. Now, Eros has become a sexual term, but it wasn't in the beginning. One of the symbols for Eros <laughs> was a snake with his own tail in his mouth. So he's consumed with himself. And so that's why, this is a borrowed, that's why I use the hook to describe Eros because stick man is, he may look like agape originally, but he's got a motive. For God so agapowed, the verb form of agape, he loved us with no motive. And the reason is because he's God, obviously, but also we didn't have anything to give him. I, I believe in when we come to God, we don't add anything to God. He adds to us. I don't, by you and I being born again, don't make God more God. It don't make him more righteous or even more powerful. He's all of that already. That's what the omni's on him for. Omni means all. He's omnipresent. He's all-knowing, all-seeing, everything. He's, he is the omni-God. So we don't add anything to him. It's like we bring him pleasure. When you bring that baby home from the hospital, he can't do it, or he or she can't do nothing except go to the bathroom, cry, and stay up half the night. They don't add anything, but when we, get them, when we get up the next time, we got pictures hanging everywhere. Now it's out, it's out of control with phones. Pictures being right. They bring you what? Pleasure. They can't mow the grass. They can't do anything. They can't hold the corn. They can't even take the trash out. They can't even change their own diaper. What's up with that? And boy, don't they learn how to manipulate right off the bat because they're born with a hook in them. They're born into sin. We're all, thanks to the fall, we have this Adamic nature we're born with. Now, we're not accountable until the law comes. And the law comes, Paul said, I was okay till the law came. When the law came, sin come alive, and I realized I was a sinner. Right? So when the law comes, and, and, and a lot of people try to put an age on that. I don't know that we can do that, really, because... People are raised in different environments and different circumstances. I, the law came to me early because I had Christian parents and I had a mother who was aggressive about studying the Word of God constantly. And she had always played it when she was washing the dishes or anything. She was always getting the Word of God. So it made our house get exposed to it, you know, aggressively. So I, I feel like I came to the age of accountability maybe quicker than some other people did. Because they didn't grow up. So you can't just say, well, when everybody's 12, they're all... That's not how this works. When the law, when right and wrong becomes a reality to us, then we become accountable. And God's faithful in that. 
He, he knows everybody's circumstance. He's fair. God's more fair than any of us, even though he gets accused of not being by the world. God is the fairest. In fact, I'll just say it like this. There's, a, there's what we call in the King James, the old King James, the law of the ass in the Old Testament, and that meant it needed its neck broke as soon as it come out. That's us. But God stepped in and forgave us and gave us another chance. We, we all, like sheep, have went the wrong way. There's none good, no, not one. Just because you were born in a good family, I like what one old-timer said. He said, have you ever had somebody bring their, their new baby and say, oh, what a pretty little sinner you got? Because <laughs> we're born in the sin, right? But we're not accountable until the law comes alive, and maybe, maybe that's different for different people depending on the circumstances, and God knows all that <clears throat> far greater than we do. So this law that these guys tried to live by, nobody could keep it except for Jesus. Moses couldn't even keep it. Jesus is the only one that could fulfill the law, and he did it in obedience to the Father, and that's why he's become the righteousness. So we've always been waiting for this Messiah, and so now what a Pharisee is today, even though he don't dress like one or maybe even go to the same places, he's that same person who says, I'm good with God because I can do you fill in the blank. And so that's not Christianity. Christianity is when Christ comes in, redeems us from ourselves, gives us new life, and then puts his spirit inside of us so that we can follow him. Now, with those thoughts in mind, I want to take you to Second uh, Philippians chapter 2. Uh, and let's listen closely to... <coughs> Philippians chapter 2, he says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, so he brings the Holy Spirit into it, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded. So it was God's intention for us to be born again. It's not his will that any would perish. I'm talking to everybody that's watching wherever you're at in the world tonight or gets this podcast. It's God's intention no matter where you were born or even what false religions you may have grew up around, it's God's intention for you to embrace His only begotten Son who rose from the dead, and He's the only one that's risen from the dead to eternal life, and to surrender your life to Him and follow His teachings. That's God's will for everybody. Now, not everybody's doing that. We understand that, but God's will. Then, as He brings you in, when you're born again, you're birthed into a family. You become a part of a family. And as I've shared with you before, there's a word neighbor that's used in the New Testament that says we're to love our neighbor and, take, and do all this for our neighbor. And our neighbor is not just a person that lives beside us on our street or those few people in that community. A neighbor in the Greek means anybody you have the ability to reach. Now that's really changed if you think about it with technology. And so like Stephen in Africa, he's our neighbor because God has brought him into our circle. We have the ability to impact his life and vice versa. So when you got born again, you and I came into a family. And you and I came into a family of all walks of life. Different skin colors, different nationalities, uh, males, females, all of that. Everything, children, older folks, middle-aged that's all, all, all of that makes up God's family. 
Now you've also got, but you've got what we would call people who live outside the church that want to have Christianity in a bubble. Now, let, me ask you, let me ask you how you would feel. Now, let's just put, put ourselves and think about God for a minute. And, and I, I run into folks like that, that they do their own thing. They have nothing to do with the body of Christ. How do you think, how would you feel if I said, I'm coming over to see you, James, but I don't want anything to do with the rest of your family. Don't let them get around me when I come see you. That's how a lot of folks are. I don't want to be bothered with God's church. I don't want to have, feel some level of responsibility to the rest of the family. I don't want to help make things go. I just do my own thing with you, God. How do you think that makes God feel? How would you feel? What if you came to my house and said, Matt, I want to see you, but keep the rest of your family out of my face. I don't want to be around none of them. Right? It's a bad feeling. And so... That's not right. I had a, a lady tell me one time, said, I'm a Christian. Said, I don't, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And she said, I said, you're right. I said, I, I, I think that may be possible. But I don't know anybody like that. And I was looking at her when I said it. <laughs> so God wanted you to be a part of a family. He brought you into the family. That helps make us grow. Because you're going to have to give and take a little bit when you're in a family, right? Who gets the last piece of cake? Right? Who gets the... <laughs> yeah, Alfred does. Who gets the fork in their hand, right? When that pork chops, everybody's going for... Right. So you got to learn to prefer one another, right? That's how we grow. We prefer one another. We go to the back of the line if necessary. So that's part of this. He's bringing us into this fellowship. Let nothing be done, he says. Uh, I want you to have be in one accord. And if you heard the teaching this morning already about the Holy Spirit, on the day of Pentecost, they were all in one mind and one accord. And look what happened. I mean, the Holy Spirit fell, and then when he fell, everybody heard everything, in their own life, and there were multitudes of people represented that day. 3,000 of them got saved. When the Holy Spirit supernaturally spoke through the tongues on those people that had waited on that were unified, everybody out there was hearing it in their own language. They were all different nationalities. They were all hearing their That's a move. That's a miracle. Unity is so important, even in a family. My wife and I, you know, you know I, I, and I've been, a, 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 been to three county fairs and two hog callings. And I've sat on a lot of boards now over my life. And what I usually tell when I sit it on a board, I say, okay, if we're going to be a board, we make decisions in here. And if we disagree, we still leave here together. You know, and, and so unity is so important. It's so important that we have unity. And it starts in the family. You can't have a mother going this way and a father going that way. And, and so the, the Lord has is, is called us to be a family. Now, if everybody was willing to take wrong on themselves and get in the back of the line, then you wouldn't have any trouble. And we're blessed. We are blessed with that here. But it's not that way. And he's going to actually get into a little bit of that. He says, let nothing be done through 
uh, selfish ambition or conceit. There's that hook, right? That's eros. That's basically what's going on here. And when you get to the end of this chapter, you're going to see something that's really just the lights will go off. He says, selfish ambition or conceit. He says, let, it, uh, uh, let each esteem others better than himself. Wow, now that's a challenge, isn't it? That is a challenge because we've all got ideas, right? And what we learned is better than the way you learned it, right? And what you learned is better than the way I learned it. But just being able to just say, take a back seat, you know. Let's, it's, it's a challenge sometimes. He says, let's mind be uh, lowliness of mind. And that's interesting there. It's not... Phariseeism is lowliness on the outside, but inside it's not. Pharisees were not that way. Lowliness of mind, that part which is not seen, is true humility. True humility. The goal is to be to walk in humility. And I'm in one. And I'll just give you a, a little quote here. This may be the single greatest quote I've ever read in my life. And maybe it's just because of how I've come up and all the stuff that the Lord's done and in and around me. But I'm going to read you this quote from a monk who was born in 1050, I believe, or 1090, and lived till about 1153. That's how old this quote is. But here's the quote. The Creator, seeking what was lost, followed the work of His hands, and came down in mercy to where they lay in misery. He would experience for himself what they rightly suffered for their disobedience. He was not led by curiosity as they were, but by a wondrous love. It was not his intention to remain with them in misery, but to raise them from it by his mercy. That's powerful. That's what the Lord has come to do. So he's going to take you on a journey. And as we had another Bible study. We've had one for years, several years now, at 8 o'clock on Wednesday. And we're in the book of Hebrews. And suffering is good for us. Don't throw any rocks at me. And I know it don't feel good sometimes. But the Bible says Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered. He learned the plan of God for his life. He walked in it. And if Jesus went through some suffering, I'd say I'm going to. And, you're, and we have. Many of us have. I understand that. You're going to go through that because it, it helps. But he says, our, he, what he says there is he came down to experience what we were, had done to ourselves. But he wasn't willing to leave us there. And just show us he could do it and we couldn't. He was willing to take us out of it. With his mercy. So then he says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself no reputation. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. He took on our nature, humbled himself, and notice how many times he would say things like, don't tell anybody. Just go do what the priest said to do, what Moses said. 
And he would never, he was not looking for credit. All he was looking for was affirmation from his father. And his father gave him that twice on his day of baptism and on the Mount of Transfiguration. He gave him his affirmation. He wasn't looking for praise from men. He wasn't looking for his affirmation from another man. He was looking for it from the Father. And if we lived lives like that, if we didn't care who got the credit, if we didn't care who was the first one on the, in line, if we didn't care about those things, what a more peaceful life we could live. And I know a lot of folks here are living that way, but that, that is one of the things that we see modeled in Jesus. He was the king of kings, and he humbled himself. He was washing the disciples' feet. He was cooking them breakfast, and this is astounding to me, after his resurrection. I mean, he'd already been glorified again, right? And he's still serving the ones he loves. Willing to go out of his way. Willing to go to Zacchaeus' house and run the risk of being talked about. And he was. They called him a wine-bibber, friend of sinners. So he, he says, he humbled himself. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death. Even the death of the cross. And he died like a sinner. That's how people who done wicked things died in that culture. He died like one of them. So how misunderstood could he have been? You know, if you got the people out on the fringe, and they're looking and say, man, I wonder what he did, you know. I wonder why, how bad of a guy he is. Look, he's hanging on the cross. Had no concept. And that would, is one of the things that drives us crazy the most, right? Now, as I've gotten older, I don't really care as much anymore. But when you get feel like you're being misunderstood. And, and there's this driving force in us. Oh, I've got to fix that. I've got to make... Instead of just kind of letting God take care of it. You know. Jesus didn't even talk half, mostly when they brought him before all the leaders. He, uh, he said, thou sayest. Thou sayest. Thou sayest. Led like a lamb to the slaughter. He didn't defend himself. And that's the kind of life I've lived in the last 25 years. You don't need to defend yourself. The Lord will defend you. Now, I'll defend other people, but I don't defend myself. And I think Jesus gives us that model. That's the model. If you want God to come in, then don't fight your own battles. Let Him fight them. And so Jesus says, He was obedient. Therefore God also has highly exalted Him and given Him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those, now see how he's going to get exalted because he was willing to humble himself. He's, of course, he's getting the highest exaltation. Uh, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. But of those in heaven, those on the earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I mean, he's our model. Look at him. Don't look at a me or a TV preacher, or even the preacher you admire the most, look at Jesus. And do his, uh, do his stuff. Do it the way he did it. That's how we're called. We're called to be his disciples. And so we should model our lives after him and what he teaches. And, and, and don't 
Let him take care of all the trouble. Let him. He said he'd fight our battles for us. He said for us not to worry about tomorrow. He said, let me go in front, right? He's going to go in front of us. And if we'll seek him, all these other things will be added unto us. There's so much in the Bible that tells us that God will take care of us. I became his responsibility when I gave my life to him. I remember a couple of conversations when I was younger, before my children were grown. Somebody said, well, what if you die if you, before your children are grown? Well, if that's God's will, then I will expect God to take care of them. If it's his will for me to die sooner than later, God don't, do, God don't make mistakes. He don't make mistakes. And so we need to learn how to trust him. God became responsible for us when we came into his family. We became his children. He took responsibility for us. I'm feeling that while I'm saying that. I, that's what you did when you brought children into the world. You took responsibility for them. And, I, and don't get around me and complain about it. Because the first thing's out of my mouth, you decided to have them. So do it. Right? Same thing with marriage. You know, there's a parable where Jesus said, oh, these guys that are doing what they're supposed to do, they're not going to get patted on the back for it. That's what they're supposed to do. So don't expect to get patted on the back for being a mom or a dad. You brought them in, take care of it. Right? That's your responsibility. We don't get patted on the back for everything. That's what's wrong with a few generations. We're growing up sissies. Because we give little children trophies for sitting in the grass and doing nothing but picking their nose. And we're training up a generation that takes no responsibility. One of the things that blessed me the most, I had to get some stuff for the church yesterday. I went in a store, and there's this young lady running the cash register, and, and uh, we was talking about something. I had come, a, took a pretty good journey to get what I need, and she said, well, that's a long journey and long day, and this, that, and other. I said, She said, well, I'm having a long day too. And I said, she said, I was supposed to get off work such and such, and said, but I don't have to work over because the other person didn't come in. I said, well, I hate that. She said, I don't hate it. I like to make money. I like to pay my bills. I like to eat. I said, I about shouted. A 19-year-old saying that in this culture, I about shouted. She said, I don't, I don't hate them not coming in. She said, I want to make more money. I want to pay my bills and eat. And eat. She said, I like to eat. <laughs> so, so we all need to take responsibility. We make some decisions. We have to take some responsibility for that, right? And children certainly is one of those. He says... Uh, <clears throat> Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, for it is, it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now that verse has been trouble for a lot of folks, but he's talking to people who've already been born again. How do we work out our salvation? You've been given salvation through Christ. He, he's certainly not talking about getting born again here. He's talking, and I'm going to give you the clear understanding of that here. Let me, let me first read to you from the Greek text. I'm going to read it in English, but I'm going to read it the way the Greek says it. And then I'm going to come back to this word here, work out, is one word in the Greek. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as always, you obeyed not as in the presence of me only, but now much more in the absence of me. So Paul's talking to them. They... You know, have you ever just brought somebody into something and they, like, maybe you taught them how to ride a horse and they didn't want you to leave till they really had it down, right? 
or a bicycle or whatever, right? Or maybe you taught somebody how to cook or garden or anything, right? Or any, or any vocation, right? You, I mean, in the mines, you know, if you're fresh to something, you want to stay there and make sure you get it right. And it's that way in all jobs, right? You just want to make sure you know what you're doing, you do it right. So that's kind of the idea I want you to see here in the Greek, that these people are used to having Paul around and they like his instruction, but Paul knows he's probably... He's not going to be here forever, so he's trying to get these people to move on in their salvation, work it out under the fear of God, right? Understand how real it is and how important. He's not talking about them getting saved. He's, they've already been saved, if I can use that word. He's talking about how does salvation work itself out in your life. And let me finish reading this in the Greek. He says, and the answer me, with fear and trembling, your own salvation work out. For God is the one working in you. So he's all, see what he just said? That, that would be double talk. You can't say God's in you working and then say you need to get saved. <laughs> That's not how it works. So this verse was, has been butchered over the years because people don't have the opportunity to study or maybe they didn't do their homework. So what he's talking about is just what I'm trying to get across to you. You have, I think I jotted something down. I felt like the Spirit was teaching me. You have, you have what's necessary. You have the seeds. Now go grow the garden. Right? You've, everything, you've got it in you now. I've worked. Now take that and run it out. The Greek word for work out means uh, to accomplish, to produce, to bring about. So God's in you. You're saved. Now work that salvation out. Don't just... Hang around me. I'll give you another biblical example. The guy that Jesus cast the demons out of wanted to stay with Jesus, remember? And he said, no. Go work out this stuff that's happening to you. Go work it out with other people. That's basically what he's saying there. He's not saying you've got to figure out a way to get saved. These people are already born again. What he's trying to get them to do is you've got everything you need. Now go sow the garden and plow the garden. Do what's, and, and <laughs> this is a carnal thought, but that comedian that said, uh, uses that phrase, get her done all the time. Basically, that's what he's saying. You've got, you're born again. God's working in you. Take what you have and produce. Produce. Yeah, get her done. Produce. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Get in there and get it done. Right? And Paul was fussing at the Hebrews in Hebrews this morning, we heard him, and he was saying, you guys should be eating meat, but you're stuck on the milk. They're not getting it done. They're not taking And a lot of people <clears throat> want to just, they probably, there are groupies in Christianity. They just want to be around somebody or something all the time instead of going out in the field and plowing and sowing and watering. Now, you got your salvation and that salvation is not just for you to get to heaven. It's for you to produce the works of God. Let God do that through you to bring about, to accomplish. So that's what he's saying there in, in this passage. He's saying, <clears throat> do all things without complaining. Let's all pray. We're going home right there. <clears throat> that is a challenge in him. Living in a godless culture in the world like we do today, where nobody really gives a hoot about God as a group, <clears throat> a nation. And that's hard, right? It's hard not to complain. 
And that was what got Israel in trouble. They were complaining constantly, constantly complaining about God. And that journey that should have took a couple of weeks wound up taking 40 years. Because they, they got frustrated, complaining, everything's just not going just right. You, uh, one of my friends who's gone on to be the Lord said something to me years ago. He said, when you plan to do something, go ahead and mark down something's going to go wrong. That way when it does, you're not tore all to pieces about it. Just expect that something will not go the way you planned it. And that's true about life for the most part, isn't it? Some things will not always go the way you plan them. Well, you have an adversary, right? You have, I, we all have an adversary. That means we have an opponent. And op an opponent tries to keep you and I from going where we need to go, right? If you think about it, all sports are set up that way. Don't let that guy get down the field. Don't let that guy get to first base. Don't let that girl drive down the lane and score a basket. Whatever, stop their progress. Keep them from getting where they want to go. I can't tell you how many times I heard the coach say that and called. Stop them. Don't let them get to where they want to go, right? That's what an adversary does. That's what an opponent does. You stop them from getting where they want to go. You, that's how Satan works in our life. He's trying to stop us from moving where we need to go. <clears throat> he, says, he says, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless Children of God without fault in the midst of the crooked and perverse generation. And you can, you can soften. The Bible says if somebody sends a harsh word, you send a soft answer. You can do that with people. Uh, this has been years ago. I had a guy come in and he raked me over the coals in my office. And, I mean, he really raked me over. And I listened. And he was proud of himself. He said... And kind of, what do you think about that, preacher? I said, well, after I got all uh, my, hard, my hair back from being parted, <laughs> I, said, I said, if I felt that way about my pastor, I'd find me another church. And that was the end of that discussion. I wasn't going to, I was, it was going to be useless to defend myself, right? He'd done parted my hair. Next thing was perm. <laughs> I didn't want the perm. I didn't think it'd look good on me. So, but you can really send soft answers, right? But we're all growing in that. Now, now I'm going to say something. <clears throat> Ten years before that, I might not have done that. Right? I might have been out in the hall with him. You know, I mean, we're all growing. Right? We all grow. We all mature. But we should be moving forward and not going backwards, right? That's the idea behind Christianity. He says... <clears throat> He says, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. We live there. We, right here in Danville. We live. The majority of the people in this town, in this county, and the surrounding counties and towns are not Christians. They're just not. Less than 10% is the average, the national average of people that will show up to church this Sunday in this country. And out of that 10%, 18% of that 10% is faithful. Now, there are churches that are exceptions, and we're one of them. And I'm thankful for that. It's encouraging. We are definitely 
way out of that. I mean, uh, I think something like 90-some percent of our people tithe, which is unbelievable in the kind of culture we live in. But you all love God. I mean, that's unheard of that we got that many people that faithful to come, to work, to worship, to give. I mean, it's amazing. And we're blessed. We are. But the national average is horrendous. We live in a perverse, crooked generation. And Proverbs told us that generation was on the way. Remember that? Said their teeth will be set on edge. Said the children will hate their parents. I mean, we're there. And that's a challenge for us to not get frustrated, not be complaining, right? And holding fast the word of life. He said, you live in a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's what we do. That's what we do. And I've heard testimonies from some of you where you, you may be working a situation that's not very God-friendly. But your witness, and some of you I've heard things about that you've not heard me say to you, people come in and tell me what a witness you are. That, that, that speaks volume. Listen, I, I, I'm, I'm just going to say this. We all can't come to the church and stay. God needs people in the courthouse. He needs people on the police force. I say He needs. He wants people all, all in those places. He wants people delivering the mail. He wants people on the golf course occasionally. Sharing the gospel. <laughs> right. So what I'm saying is, we can't all do what they did in Masada. And we can't all do like some of the... We got, God needs us out there. Or He wants us out there, I should say. I'm trying to not overstep my bounds here. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice, He says... You shine as lights, holding fast the word of life. Remember what we read a couple weeks or two ago on a Sunday? That you cannot be ashamed of Jesus or His word. Stand up for His word. And He says, I want you to hold fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Have you ever prayed this prayer? God, use me. And then you come back a month later and say, God, they're using me. I don't like it. <laughs> you going to lay your life down or not, right? I mean, that's what it boils down to. And then he says, yes, if I'm being poured out, I want to rejoice with you all. The same reason you all glad and rejoice with me. Now listen to these next few lines before I quit tonight. Listen to what's said here. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. One of the reasons I travel to Arizona and South Dakota every year is because those people are consumed and they get, they get beat up constantly. Can you imagine being in a ministry where you're on call 24 hours a day. Nobody there to encourage you because you're all doing the same thing. That's one of the reasons I travel to those places to encourage them and tell them we appreciate them. Because not everybody can do that. Not everybody can do what Jason and Charlotte did. A little red Ford Topaz. Sell everything they got. 
put what they got left in that red Ford Topaz, got, got suitcases between their two children in the back seat, and drive to the Navajo Reservation in Arizona and work for $100 a month. Leave a job making 20-some bucks an hour and go to the children's home and get room, board, and 100 bucks a month. Those people need encouraged. They're some of my biggest heroes, Jason and Charlotte, because they, he don't preach, he don't do anything like that, but they love those children one right after another. Just bring them in. It doesn't matter. And they come from horrible situations. Some of them are in horrible positions and states of mind when they get there. And just love them. So I, we want to encourage people like that. You want to encourage them and, and help them know that, hey, we see you. Your labor's not in vain. We're behind you. We're with you. <clears throat> and he, he says... <clears throat> Look what his next line says. He said, I want to know your state. And this next line is powerful. <clears throat> when he said, I'm going to send Timothy. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for you or your state. For all of them, I put them in there, for all seek their own. Paul's basically saying, I got one guy I can send to you because he's not trying to build his ministry. He's not trying to look good. He's not trying to get any credit. He don't care if you know his name. He don't care if anybody's there or tens there or hundreds there. Everybody else has got a hook. That's basically what he's saying. I got one dude I can send to you because everybody else is in it for themselves. One of the women who I admire her testimony is Joyce Meyer. I don't know all of her doctrine or theology, and I don't, it doesn't matter to me. But when you listen to how she come up and her realness about admitting who she has been, about her own father molesting her, and her taking him in in his 70s, leading him to Christ before he died with cancer. And then being honest about not submitting to her husband and trying to lord over him for however many years and having to come full circle and honor her husband and her pastor. She's under their authority. She's not a lone ranger. And I'm not here to promote her or demote her, but just her testimony. And, and I'll guarantee you, <clears throat> there's probably things that she don't have all together. But guess what? That's true of all of us. Every single one of us. There are no perfect people except for Jesus. And so you think about somebody who is... Filled with seeking their own, what a transformation that's become to somebody like that. What about Paul saying, I got one dude I can send because the rest of them are in it for themselves? That's sad, isn't it? Back in their time, even. And then he says, I'm going to send Timothy. He said, For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. I don't think any ministry is a stepping stone. 
I don't like when I hear people say, I'm going to use this to step on into another man. If God changes your season, that's fine. But I, some of the best youth pastors I've ever known are the guys that are still doing it when they're 50 and 60. They know God's called them there. They stay there. You know, Billy Graham could have built a church of thousands anywhere in this country just on his name. Kudos to him for staying true to what God called him to do, to be an evangelist. He could have took a different mantle on his own, but he stayed where God called him. And that's beautiful. We're all, none of us should get the credit anyway. It should all go to the Lord. It's not about who's good or bad. If you're good at something, God made you that way. You can't even take credit for that. Paul said, which one of us have anything we didn't receive? So if God equipped you a certain way and you're skilled at something, it was his design. It was his intention. If you go back to the building of the original uh, temple, God skilled, the Bible says he skilled men to work with gold. He put the spirit on them to work with stones and different things. Do you know that some of those guys beat gold so fine that they use it as thread on the high priest garment? They sold with gold as thread. That's how skilled they were, and we think we're good. That, but God done that with them. Whatever you're good at, you ought to give God thanks for it. Because he, you and I are never going to impress God with what we're good at. Because He made us that way. He's the one that designed us. And, and so He said, it's sad, but He said, I can't see anybody but Timothy. And He says, for I have nobody like-minded. He said, you, but you know His proven character that as a son with his father, he served me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall shortly come, shall come shortly. Yet I consider it necessary to send, you, send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. So he come to minister to Paul. For indeed, he was sick almost to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I send him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for their work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. So he left Philippi to help Paul. And the Philippian band, these Philippians were all in. They, were give, they would support Paul in places when nobody else would. And that's why he had such a heart for them. So they were all in with God, the gospel, and with Paul. So just remember, none of us should be looking for credit for anything. Just do what God's asked you to do, and he will. Share His glory with us when the time's right. Amen. He will move us up the ladder if that's His intention. If that's His intention, He will move us up the ladder. But how about some of these folks? How about Bill Wilson? How many know who Bill Wilson is? Bill Wilson is in New York. He's been shot two or three times. I've heard him speak a couple of times. He works in the Bronx. He's got a church in the Bronx. He's kind of in obscurity. He picks children up who have AIDS and hugs them and loves them. And he still don't have AIDS. 
I mean, he's been a faithful servant. Uh, and I, I don't, I'm assuming he's still alive, but I don't, I've not heard in the last few years, but he's just up there doing his thing. He's not out trying to get credit. I'll never forget this. This was a refreshing. We had a missionary come from, it wasn't Costa Rica, but it was somewhere else down in that area. And somebody had told her to come in and see me and some other guys about helping her support what she was doing. She was doing a phenomenal work with children. I'll never forget what she said to me. She said, or all of us, she said, you know, I'm in here bringing this presentation because I was asked to. She said, but I'm not here to ask for money. She said, the Lord supports me. If you all feel like you need to get on board, so be it. If not, no big deal. And that's beautiful because she was trusting in the Lord. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust. Let's pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.